0: from the casebook of Inspector G Lestrade. Bermondsey, South London, 25th of July, 1880. It seemed to me that we were,
1: in some manner, leaving modernity behind us and traveling into the past, towards a simpler age, but also one wilder and more barbarous than our own. Take out your revolver, Watson.
2: We are both of us in the profoundest peril.
1: Give yourself up and we'll do what we can for
3: you. The famous service revolver.
2: I felt
1: a hand upon my back and, half a second later, a curved blade pressed against my throat.
2: Who are you, anyway? My name is Sherlock Holmes, madam, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. Sherlock Holmes. Never heard of him. It's all quite fantastic.
4: I'm Jonathan Barnes and I wrote um, The Ordeals of Sherlock Holmes. All four adventures. Consider the Hive. How
2: perfect it is in form and design. How ideal is its society.
4: It came about when we were recording The Adventure of the Perfidious Mariner, which we recorded last year, which was a special about Sherlock Holmes and Watson and the aftermath of the Titanic disaster. And um, just... Attending the recording that day, watching Nick and Richard work, thinking a little bit, and having the opportunity to chat a little bit about the way in which Big Finish approach Sherlock Holmes, this new idea for four separate stories taking place at different points in Holmes's life, but um, interconnecting um, in various ways, um, occurred to me then, which I, I, I pitched to Nick fairly shortly afterwards, and um, you know, and quite understandably, wanted to know a little bit more which I was able to do, and uh, then he commissioned it. How might we arrange the world according to the organising principle of the hive?
5: Mr Holmes! (gasps) Really?
4: That's one of the interesting things about um, what Holmesians call the, the canon of Sherlock Holmes stories, in that there are these fascinating gaps in it, and there are many crucial things which Doyle doesn't tell us. So the adventure of the perfidious mariner was about one of these gaps, which is this very curious thing that Sherlock Holmes retires, which is very strange because he's only in his fifties, and suddenly a man who's supposedly completely, sort of, utterly driven to the exclusion of all else, um, upsticks, leaves London, retires, goes and lives in Sussex. So that's what I was sort of worried away at that as to why he would um, retire in that story, and it was great fun to be able to do something similar on a much wider scale on a much bigger canvas um, for the ordeals of Sherlock Holmes. So what caused Holmes to retire?
2: I may have made a...
4: a mistake. Not possible. Of course it's possible. What was Holmes like just before he met Watson? Which we know a little bit about. Doyle wrote a couple of short stories which show us a much younger Holmes. Really, gentlemen? If you could see your faces. Equally, what was Watson like? You know, we have a page, a page and a half of a study in Scarlet. Otherwise, very little clue as to what Watson would have been like before he met Holmes. It's certainly my contention that those two men were kind of not complete, really, in themselves, until they met each other. We saw no other human beings, nor even any animal life. We simply walked on into the blank spaces of the map. So you see the way they act, Holmes in particular, in the first adventure. Um, which is called the guttering candle. He's not yet the man he can be, and it takes Watson to, to turn him into that.
0: You seem to have made a study of a great many things, Mr Holmes. Gentlemen,
2: you may pursue your own investigations. That's very kind of you, sir. While I shall pursue my own.
0: Hello, I'm John Banks, and I'm playing Inspector Lestrade. What'll catch our murderer in the end is patient exacting police work. a slow and steady accumulation of evidence The parlour tricks of young Mr Holmes will do very little to trap our killer, and they'll be of still less use in a court of law. The established norm is that Sherlock is obviously a a one-off and a genius, and uh, the man who invented forensic science, or however he might be described. So, yes, I suppose from a dramatic point of view, it's much more interesting to have someone who doesn't know that, who isn't aware of that, Um, That history has not yet established itself.
2: If you would only permit me to study the body, I am certain I can be of material assistance.
0: So the characters can quite easily vie for supremacy, especially as Sherlock is an amateur. He's a private citizen. As we said, it doesn't have authority. Um, And uh, the police are naturally not keen to hand over their own authority to him.
2: What is to be lost by
0: such an examination? What is to be lost by it, sir? Apart from my professional reputation, my dignity and my time, nothing whatever, I'm sure. Those opportunities to actually slightly put Sherlock Holmes in his place, to um, think of him as being perhaps a bit of a crank or someone who's just turned up out of the blue, who isn't really going to be of any help or assistance to the police, um, it's very nice. I think that's quite a nice angle to play. And, uh, of course, there's a wonderful dramatic irony involved in that because clearly the audience will know that everything Sherlock Holmes suggests that he's able to do, he is able to do. And at some point, Lestrade is going to be made to look slightly foolish for having not believed him in the first place. So, yes, that's, that's quite a nice dramatic
2: device to play. Good day to ye, fine gentlemen. Good day to ye... Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm playing Sherlock Holmes. Get me a cup of tea, would you, Constable? Yes, sir. No need to be lenient with the sugar. I did feel a bit of pressure playing the young one, but I... Um, I suddenly thought, really, it's more about playing the old one later, because I don't sound terribly old. Or are you about to tell me I sound like some old fart? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> So and it's more about his intention and his energy, really. Blake Ritson, who who we had in today, and um, he sort of looked at me uh, rather uh, alarmed. He said, oh, how are you going to do the young one? As if it was completely impossible for me to be credible as a younger person. (sighs) Or maybe that's my own paranoia. Maybe he was just inquiring. Yeah, that's it. He was just asking. Anyway, so yeah, I did feel a bit of uh, unaccountable pressure today. My concern
0: today, because it's been quite a while since we recorded the last Sherlock Holmes, is to to try to make Lestrade fit in chronologically with where we've already been. It's good to see you back in London, sir.
2: I think you want a little unofficial help. Three undetected murders in one year won't do, Lestrade.
0: My voice has changed a little bit since we recorded the last uh, episodes. So I've been setting myself the agenda of trying to get that right, and obviously I've had all the help uh, of Ken and Nick who uh, can remember and who know you know how, how it should be because Holmes is a younger character in this particular episode that we're recording as well. So for the both of us we've been we've been working out how to pitch our voices so that we do sound a little bit younger than perhaps we might have done before.
2: Are you sure? See for your sound? Constable
6: oh. I'm Derek Carlisle I'm playing Constable Berry.
2: What have you seen, Mister Holmes? Did you happen to notice that until recently the man's upper teeth have been sharpened?
6: When I first read the script, it was fascinating to hear Holmes in his infancy, if you like, and just uh, it was it was great to be a part of that as well. There's sort of the 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 start of his his career as his consulting detective, as he calls it, and uh, it's it's great to see how something like that that we know so well something that's so familiar as how it, how it got started and how it's you know where, where it came from essentially uh, well he says he's a well uh, a sort of amateur consulting detective sir
0: consulting detective whatever next
6: where he's very impressed by Lestrade he tells him that he um, wanted to be transferred to Lestrade's division so that he could work with him because he he loves his methods and everything my own little watson
0: <laughs> well yes this also ties in with the the notion of trying to establish our age at this point in, in the uh, general cycle.
6: Sorry to trouble you, sir. New, aren't you, lad? Uh, yes, sir. Constable Werry, sir.
0: You get an idea that perhaps Lestrade is very much older than he is, but within the context of the time, the fact that he's around sort of the 30s mark, having a young constable with him who's maybe 10 years younger he would have had no compunction at all about calling him lad or referring to him as, you know, sonny or whatever. Probably a good deal worse than that. But for us, of course, you know, if you were working with someone now and you only had a 10-year age gap, you would never dream of calling someone those things.
6: I volunteered for this division, sir, because I wanted to work for you. Your methods, they've inspired me. The very first meeting he has with him is, is interrupted, in inverted commas, by Holmes's arrival. And so I think his whole... Uh, perception of what police work can be is almost immediately turned on its head he's just met his mentor in policing and then suddenly holmes comes in and sort of debunks all the theories of just hard slog footwork and proper policing by having these extraordinary thoughts and observations and uh, i think that's a it's a a fascinating thing for where he's he's totally intrigued by holmes's methods unusual sort of man inspector remarkable in his way
2: Derek Carlyle Uh, that's right you either call him Derek Carlyle or Dell and Dell I worked with uh, with Ken on the first Sherlock Holmes play I ever did The Speckled Band when I did it on stage back in 1999 and so I've known Dell that long and of course Ken who has worked with him many times has brought him into many big finished parts and so that's that's worked out beautifully actually
7: so uh, which clubs are you a member of? of none sir Michael Cochran and I play Mr. Barclay Gower. I know in certain circles, it's thought to be a little second rate, but it would be my pleasure, if you'd like, to propose that you join us here. Barclay Gower is quite a mysterious, strange fellow. He had a penchant for circuses. It's delightful. You're impatient, Mr. Holmes, and why not, I was just the same. (laughs) But I do believe I'll have a cigar while I tell you. Would you care to join me? I've read all of Sherlock Holmes over my life. I've done a fair few of them on, you know, radio with uh, Clive Merrison, I mean, and Michael Williams. Uh, I think they're tr- tremendous stories. Um, in fact, I started reading when I was very young, and I'm, I remember my father was driving us to some seaside place in Italy. This is in the early 50s, I should think. And he got very cross with me because I wasn't looking at this new and wonderful scenery, but I had my nose buried into the case book of Sherlock Holmes. I was far more interested in the Speckled Band or whatever it was than The Bay of Levanto. <laughs> <laughs> but I I loved the Sherlock Holmes stories, especially when they got out of Baker Street in London, although I thought he created London terribly well, but went sort of got in the hansom or the train and went into the sort of deepest surrey, because it's now where I live and I when I go to somewhere like Homebury Holmbury St Mary or you know, the laurels and just the greenery and the houses, the sort of Lutchens type houses. They, they always remind me of, it always reminds me of Sherlock Holmes. The matter's a delicate one, but I think I can be confident of your discretion.
3: I'm Ken Bentley and I've been directing uh, The Ordeals of Sherlock Holmes.
7: I have a taste for the pastimes of the working man, and I've often been known to attend circus performances and similar
3: entertainments. One of the other very clever things that Jonathan's done is, and it's almost the cliche that people say there are there are no small roles. There's no such thing as a small role. They're, these are these are characters that are in very few scenes, but absolutely everybody is is incredibly important to the story. There are no. There's, there's there's no there's no fat on this story at all it's it's, it's been very efficiently written um, and everybody's got everybody that you hear has a very key role to play um, and so that 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 really said to me we we've got to get We've got to get good people in, just because there are only a couple of scenes. It's, we, we can't just throw these opportunities away. We've got to get people that are really going to do something, who are absolutely right casting and are really going to do something with the with the role. And yeah, that's why you get somebody like Michael, because, um, my God, he's just what, what, awesome. We cast voices, that's the thing we're doing more than anything else, and, and his voice is just amazing.
7: You're a worldly man in spite of your youth. I... Trust what I've said hasn't shocked you.
3: It has not. One of the things Jonathan's done that's, that I think is very successful is he's he's written stories that are very authentic in style to the books in that they're, they are narrated. They're, they're very much narrated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, we're told these stories, but... Um, from watson's point of view but what he's done that's very clever is actually use that as a device and and so and sort of if you like subvert our expectations about that that uh, 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 watson's narrative um, and it's one of the things i enjoyed when i first read the stories that he's managed to do that
1: as the day wore on my patient in spite of his earlier recovery began to sicken once more
0: it's beautifully written and it feels absolutely um uh, like a natural follow-on. Um, and I, I think Jonathan's captured that brilliantly well. It's, it's never easy, I would imagine, as a writer, to follow on from what other people have done and to capture the essence of a character. I mean, it's tricky enough, quite honestly, for me to remember how I played Lestrade all those many months ago when I first recorded him. So for Jonathan to have done that, I think, is uh, spectacularly clever, actually. I've really enjoyed it. It's it's
6: it's lovely to do um, some some sort of more reality-based stories. I love doing the sci-fi stuff, the Doctor Who stuff, etc. Um, but it's it's uh, it's really nice to do something which is slightly more earthbound, really, um, just for the contrast, if nothing else. And uh, and I just I love. I love the sort of superhero of the mind that Holmes is and that 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 sort of thing that mental agility and uh, and the whole um thriller crime solving thing that just makes makes you sort of want to be Holmes and want to be involved in the stories and fortunately because I've been asked to do this I am involved in the stories now it's just which is brilliant.
0: It's really nice to be doing the Sherlock Holmes stories generally. Um I've enjoyed all of them and I've enjoyed listening to the ones that uh I'm not involved in as well. I think they're uh, really well done. I know a lot of care and uh, attention has gone into the authenticity of the script, and uh, this is obviously an original script. But the feeling and the uh, the atmosphere, I think, is uh, fantastically uh, evoked. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great privilege to do. You know, as with all of the uh, big finish work that I've done, I I always come to it whether it's a recurring character or not, afresh. I think
7: this fellow has done... Uh, 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 Jonathan Barnes has done an extraordinary an amazing job to get the flavour of the period and of the characters and, and give it that Conan Doyle sleight of hand. is uh, a hell of an achievement, I think. But also, in the story that, I, uh, that I'm in, when it kicks off the Afghanistan bit having myself did a uh, series of plays about Afghanistan that we took round America two years ago. And so when I read that, I I was, of course, terribly interested in his stake. And, uh, you know, he's obviously knows his onions um, because one dealt with, you know, Jalalabad and, uh, you know, the early battles in the 1840s and things. Um, so, no, I thought, I think his, his knack of uh, verisimilitude is, is amazing. The fever returned, and he
1: spent hours drifting in and out of consciousness. Often, he seemed to be delirious, and he spoke of many curious things.
8: My name is Blake Britson and I'm playing Christopher Thrale. My name is Richard L, and I'm playing Dr. Watson. Mm-hmm.
1: At length, as the sun began to set, he called for me.
8: Dr Watson. And I hurried to his side. He's a bit of an enigma, actually. We we find him during the second um, Anglo-Afghan war in a cave, in a plane with an, uh, an unknown tribespeople who seem to be enthralled to him. We don't know why. We don't know why he's been wounded. Um, and he's a slightly enigmatic figure. We don't know what he represents, why he's there. He won't give too much away um, to Watson. So he's, he's quite inscrutable. I fear I've, I've taken a for the worse, old fellow. You'll pull through. Don't <coughs> exert yourself. Try to get some sleep. All the scenes today, he's been very much on the brink of death. Uh, he's been caught in a skirmish. His abdomen has been wounded and gored. So, this is a very weak, enfeebled Christopher Thrale. There's something I'd like you to do for me. It's as much about the situation as it is about the character. When you when you're playing someone on on death door, you know you you don't have much voice and everything is kind of through a screen of pain and through a slight haze. So um, I think in the, in a way the situation all, all kind of battles with the character at, at some level. Will you make me a promise, There's one Englishman to
1: another? Of course I will. Whatever you want. When you're all recording. Uh you know a full adventure and everybody's in the room uh, and usually it's close to the denouement and uh you know you've got several characters and we're all blasting away uh, at our microphones that's yeah it's very exciting and you you have a real feel for the the teamwork but um there's something very nice about two-hander um but no it was very nice um just working with blake because again it it reminds you that uh, the way Jonathan has written it, that you know there are Afghan natives uh, around, and there are lots of other British officers in, in the latter part of of the early, the latter part of the early part of the story, when they're chasing Aib Khan. Um But Jonathan has chosen just to the, the only people who actually speak are myself and and Blake, and it and it it's nice. It puts all of the focus on Christopher Thrale, and on that. Um, the bed that is lying in and on the blue flower and it, it gives you a real sense of the isolation that these two Englishmen feel uh, in the deserts of, uh, of Afghanistan. You may keep your secrets for now Thrale. I consider it my duty as a physician to stay with you until you are well enough to travel after that I must insist you leave this place and come back with me to the British camp
8: I can see that you're an honorable man doctor the best of the old country
1: it's rather like when they choose to do them in, in soap opera sometimes, isn't it? You listen properly because um, there are only two people speaking, so all the variations are going to come from these two people. It's not a cast of a thousand voices anymore. Um, and, and more often than not, when that's the case, you can get deeper into the heart of things. So no, it was, it was, it was nice.
8: At one point I was going to be playing Sherlock Holmes in a, an American TV series. so I have a very special um, interest in Sherlock Holmes. And you know just as a, as a figure in public mythology, I think he's such a wonderful um, wonderful figure. I you know I grew up watching the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes, I think he's extraordinary in them and obviously the new um, Sherlock on television I watch avidly and I think is wonderful. Um, so no to to be a kind of feel like you're dipping your foot in the in the the Sherlock world is very exciting.
1: Come in. The door opened, and the man whom we had seen from the window walked rather laboriously into the room.
8: Hi, my name's Ken Bones, and I'm playing Jim Hinderclay.
1: He was ruddy, broad and heavy-set, and whilst he cannot have been much more than 50, he seemed to move as though he were an aged man.
8: I'm the father of um, a young woman who um, grew up without her mother. I was a single-parent family with her. I'm a gamekeeper. She's left home at age 18.
2: How long ago did the events of which you speak take place? Fifteen year, Mr. Holmes. Fifteen? <laughs> then you should have come to me very much sooner, for the trail by now will be cold and her spore are all but impossible to track.
8: In my love and concern for her, I've tried to find her and failed. You misunderstand me, Mr. Holmes. I ain't come to see you
7: because my daughter disappeared. I'm here because she's come back.
8: And the story is really about the the crisis which ensues.
9: Oh, what a transformation was wrought upon her lily white body. My name is Eve Karpf, and I play Mrs. McCleese with a cry. She danced across her richly attired boudoir. Mrs. McCleese, um, interesting character, because there's probably a lot about her underneath that doesn't appear. Um, she obviously is completely besotted with Eliza completely and utterly, um, sees her as her spiritual guide and mentor, and the nice thing about her is you can sound as mad as you like when you play her. And more luxurious than before. And those traceries of grain which had of late distress. I always think when you do any character... You've got to find the heart of that character and you've got to listen to yourself a little bit at the same time. You can't go bananas with a character unless it is within that character. Well, That's what's nice about playing Mrs McLeese because she is this very interesting devious character who when you first hear her, she doesn't give any clue, I don't think, when she's ranting like um, when she's giving the paragraphs from her book. Um, you, you would never know, actually. They say later on in the script that she actually had written pornographic or erotic novels. Well, I don't know that you would know that from what she said. And from the description of her when I first read her, I didn't realize that either. There's no clue to that. So you have to rein that in a little bit. But otherwise, she is a character you could give very free rein to. She was a nice character to play because you had the, the, the more um, sort of... The side of her that you didn't see when she was, as I said, discussing. You know, when they, the the actual um, words in the script were, um, the advice to the actor was that she is addressing when she's reading the extracts from the book. She's addressing the crowd as though she were addressing a Hyde Park Corner um, speakers' corner. Uh, crowd, and that gave a clue to that. But then her character does develop a bit after that, within the realms of madness. In that glorious well, instant that of clarity, she saw that there was no sin of which she was not now capable.
4: It is your life, well, i punch you in the face if you say that about my wife, Sally, again. Well, as ever, when I've had the um, immense privilege of working a big finish, I mean, it's just an extraordinary cast. Uh, We've had a couple of great days, I think, recording them um, so far. So much of the work, I think, is done in the casting, which Ken Bentley, the director, is um, superb at at doing. Um, Everyone seems enthusiastic and keen. Everyone seems to have studied their scripts and um, they can turn up and do it to a very, very high standard. I mean, it is a phenomenal cast. I mean, Nick and Richard, I think, get better and better and better as Holmes and Watson, um, absolutely firing on all cylinders. You
2: said, did you not, upon your nuptial day, that I should never have any hesitation in presenting myself upon your doorstep? Yes. I had hoped you might call ahead. I'm very much aware, as I was saying to some people in the green room, that this is an experience that I've allowed myself to have, you know. Let's make no bones about it, I cast myself as Holmes. Because I've been cast by other people as Holmes in other productions on stage, and uh, I always felt that Sherlock Holmes was something that Big Finish should be doing, and um, you know there comes a point you think, well, <laughs> I'm maybe not going to get these jobs through other people because I don't have the right connections, and yet I have the right connections at Big Finish. So and I, like, you know, I seem to have got good reviews. So nobody said, good God, it's ridiculous having Nicholas Briggs playing Sherlock Holmes. He sounds like a talking banana, you know. So so hopefully. That's OK. The reason I mention that is that I suppose I have this underlying guilt about that, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, with the help of brilliant casts, fantastic scripts and Ken being so great, I I, I feel I've got over that. I may have made a, a mistake. Not possible. Of course it's possible. Each time I play Holmes, I find something else in the character. And I there have been some great times with this where I've where you sort of... Because it's difficult for me with a big finished recording to forget everything that's going on around, you know. And there have been some great moments where I've been totally in the zone, you know, Um, which has been lovely, you know, because my first... I I love doing many things uh, with regard to creativity and stories and production. Um, I shan't list them. Uh, But um, I always say that if you put a gun to my head and and made me choose, I would choose acting because that's what I was trained to do. And uh, I suppose it's my first love, really. Although the other things I love a lot, but uh, but yeah. So yeah, it's very very important to me. I would I would love. I feel I've I've hit a level now. I would love to do some more of these. And it's a shame that um, we've come to the end. So I'm I'm rather sad.
1: We shook hands after that, and Holmes boarded the train
2: with some
1: solemnity. I walked to the end of the platform where my wife was waiting.
2: Can you also say nice things about Richard Earle, who seems to be really unsure of whether he's good or not? <laughs> well, Richard Earle needs a slap, you know, because he's just one of those overly modest people and sometimes it just gets very tiresome because he's brilliant. And, I, you know, there's a bit of ego in me saying that because I cast him in the first place. I think I'm the only Sherlock Holmes who's ever cast his Watson. And I knew he'd be perfect the part for the part, and he is, because there's a, a real, as you'll hear him being interviewed, there's a real old-fashioned quality about him. You know, and sometimes it's very difficult for modern actors to get that sort of Victorian vibe about them. And Richard does it without even knowing he's doing it. You know, I have to correct myself sometimes because of my sometimes my voice becomes a bit modern. I'm a bit estuary, a bit London because I've lived here from, in London for many years and, and my RP sort of slips, slips into sort of, you know. The, le- the latter twentieth century and early twenty-first century. So I, I sometimes have to retake to get it a bit more clipped and a little bit more, you know, Holmesian. But uh, Richard just—it naturally has an old-fashioned quality about him, which I think works beautifully. He is Watson. Mm.
1: Together, we bore witness as the engine pulled slowly out of the station.
2: Mrs. Kirbishley. Oh, but I haven't gone by that name for many years. Indeed, I am aware of 13 of your aliases. Under which of them are you travelling today?
5: I do believe I shall allow you to discover that for yourself. I think you'll admire the answer. Hello, I'm Tracy Childs, and I'm playing... Well, I'm playing Mrs. Edgar Kirbishly, but under a different alias this time. I am waiting for what I have been assured is an excellent foie gras. You gentlemen are most welcome to join me. We would rather arrest you. To have played Mrs Edgar Kirbyshley in the last Sherlock Holmes' The Perfidious Mariner and have seen that um, she could actually turn out to be quite an evil character who goes and creates regime change all over the world, I immediately saw the potential and was hoping that everybody else did too. And thank goodness... The people at Big Finish have um, wonderful imaginations, as does Jonathan Barnes, our lovely writer. Um, And therefore, here I am, back.
2: What precisely are you doing in Covetania, madam? What scheme are you working upon? Scheme?
5: Dear me, Mr Holmes. You would have been wiser, I think, to have stayed in Sussex with your bees. I have to say she's a joy to play because um, she can be sweetness and light on the surface, but... She's quite a nasty piece of work, isn't she? I think she's fabulous. And she seems to have got more and more evil, (laughs) which suits me very nicely. Oh, goodies are nothing like as much fun to play. I am merely, like you, a humble traveller, relishing the sights of Europe now that she has been unshackled from the bonds of war. Ah, I do believe I see my supper approaching. Are you quite certain you won't join me?
1: There's a real sense of... How much of an epic Jonathan Barnes has written in that uh, this particular story, uh, or stories um, begins or begin way before Holmes and Watson ever meet. and and it really does well it, it goes on beyond certainly beyond uh, the beekeeping in Sussex. Um, if if people are listening to this before hearing the story itself, I won't spoil it but it's um, it covers such a long period of time you get a real sense of how much these two men have gone through together which is um, which is more than most most people do really.
4: I think of these stories to some extent as Doyle plus what would Arthur Conan Doyle had, have done if he'd gone on writing these stories or if he tried out different things and perhaps new techniques and although in a In many ways, he invented the idea of the short story, which gave us a series of short stories featuring the same characters. He was one of the very first writers to ever do that. Great commercial innovation. What he never did is tie those short stories together in any particular way. So it is very odd, for example, to modernise that Professor Moriarty simply appears in The Final Problem and isn't trailed, as I suspect he would be today in the preceding, three or four so it was an attempt to tell a story on a great big canvas 40 years worth of material but in four short stories which i think um doyle could easily have done had he been of a mind to jonathan barnes pitched this to me
2: when we were doing the perfidious mariner and i just thought it was too irresistible an idea it's a brilliant it's a brilliant idea Uh, and the perfidious mariner as well um
1: because I remember bringing you and saying, "So, what is this reason that he that he talks about? You know, why why did he suddenly go off to Sussex to to keep you go, Ah, well, but because Jonathan Barnes is so brilliant, he's you you so believe that you know. For all Holmes fans, will will go away thinking, "I've missed something. I've, 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 <laughs> there's a story I haven't
2: read by Conan Doyle." I'm sure many of them won't think that because they know it all backwards, (laughs) forwards, sideways. But he is very good at planting things in stories which allow him to write other stories. There are a few things planted in these four stories that uh, will facilitate what he hopes will be his next commission. (laughs) He's already told me about it. It's just a question of how these go, really. Is that to do with Monsieur Lefebvre's uh, galvanised marionette? And the Countess with the glass eye. <laughs> yes. Or was it someone with a porcelain face?
5: No! Why, it's Mr Holmes, isn't it? Good Lord. And the faithful Dr Watson, too. How delightful.
1: Did you see, Holmes? I saw Watson. Even in such a life as mine, there have been few other occasions when I have felt with such keenness... The awful proximity of my own death.
2: They really are great scripts, you know. Um, I made a distinctive choice to do these from, from Jonathan's pitch. And I think that, uh, I mean, I, I, I think the others work just as well, but uh, I like this development and I, I hope that the listeners will too.